Welcome to Growth Over Easy, the podcast where we explore the depths of life with an optimistic lens. I'm your host, Lily Rachels, and I believe pain has the potential to produce more growth than happiness ever could. I teach you how to grow through grief and give you actionable tools you can start using today. It's time to choose growth over the easy path in life. Let's grow together. Welcome back to Growth Over Easy. My guest today is Juan Alvarado. He's an expert in leadership and a certified Gallup Strengths coach. He's also a widely regarded United States Army war vet. In this conversation, we discuss what it was like for him to reintegrate back into civilian life after being on deployment, how there were some changes he wanted to make in his life, and he sought after them wholeheartedly, and the importance of aligning your goals, priorities, and schedule. You will be inspired after listening to this conversation. It was an honor to have this discussion with Juan. So without further ado, welcome back to Growth Over Easy and welcome Juan. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. First and foremost, I just want to say thank you for your service. Thank you. So how old were you when you decided to join the Army? Yeah, it's a funny story. On my 18th birthday, my dad said, hey, you need to sign up for selective service. And I was like, what the heck is selective service? He's like, every 18-year-old has to go and I'm like, sign up for selective service. And I'm like, that might just have been when you were a kid. He's like, no, when you turn 18, like it's a requirement. And I was like, okay, so let me see what I'm supposed to do. And so went to a, a, a recruiting station like down the street from our house. And I was like, hey, I'm supposed to sign up for selective service. I come back like an hour and a half later and my dad's like, what the heck took you so long? I'm like, they joined the army. And he's like, what? You were supposed to just go for a selective service. I'm like, no, but I took this test and I did really well. And they had me take some other stuff. And I knew it was something that I wanted to do as a young kid. I always wanted to do secret service work. And so my aunt who was in secret service was like, be in the military or become a police officer. I was like, cool, I'll do both. And so I knew it was part of my journey. I just didn't know that I was ready for it yet. And so that's how it came to be kind of a a fluke, but knew that it was part of my destiny at the same time. Wow, at 18. And it's like, again, your dad thought you were just going in there to (laughs) sign up and you come back and you're like, I have the next like two years laid (laughs) out in front of me. At least. Yeah. And that wasn't the plan, but it was part of the plan, but it wasn't like at that time. And then yeah, high school had a graduation slash going away party, graduated the following day, took off to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And how long did you stay in the army? Yeah, so I did uh, two years active, and then I did eight years in the reserve, and I was deployed overseas in Operation Iraqi Freedom. Okay, what year was that? 05 to end of 06, so it was 18 months. And then after you were in the military, and then the reserves for eight years, and you exited the military, went back into civilian life, what was that transition like for you? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, anyone who's in the military that says that it's easy, they're lying to you. It seemed easy at first. It's like, I'm just going to keep on living like normal. But you quickly find out that your family is, even though you're close, it's not military close. Like, because you're with other people who you've been trained with, you know that I don't have to worry about anything because when the military, you know, they have your six, they have your back. Mm-hmm. And so when you go out, you know that everybody's on the same track, mind, same everything. But when you go out with your family or significant other or whomever or friends, you're like, okay, they're not trained like I am. And then you're constantly starting to like, not worry, but I have to pick up some slack. And so when, even now, when I go out to eat, I go into like a restaurant, I see my 
exits. I know where my exits are. My back can't be to a whole bunch of people. I know if something was to happen, I size up everybody. I'm like, okay, you know, who's a threat? Who's not a threat? And it starts to build a little bit of, I would say paranoia in that Mm -hmm. sense, but it's not necessarily paranoia, but it was more of like, I'm just very, very aware. But the thing that's hard for those people who are deployed and those family members that stay at home is subconsciously, we think, Everything is on pause at home. I go mm-hmm. and do this war thing and everything's on pause. And when I come back, everything's going to be the same. And they are really good at the military at briefing us when we came back of like, that's not the case. Yeah, things your are wife, different. Yeah, your wife or your husband or your significant other have probably a new maybe position at work or a new job. They probably have met new acquaintances or friends. So you can't be like, well, who in the hell is this? Well, I don't know her. I don't know him, you know, and then your mind starts to go. And so when I came back, it was, you know, my wife is living in a different spot than when I left. Of course, we, we relocated from Southern California to Central California. She did a lot of stuff on her own. Her job location changed. And so like there's all these changes. And in the military, you're always in the know. You know everything that's going on. Everybody's communicating. And it was just really hard to kind of get that concept. So transitioning to a civilian, there was just a whole lot of things that are running through your mind a thousand miles per hour. And then you start to slowly get back into civilian life. But then like one mistake or something happens and you're like, I'm lacking or I'm Mm. lagging in that sense of, I know better than this. You know, I had a a son after I came back and he had gotten hurt. I'm like, I knew this was going to happen. And you constantly telling yourself, like, you're slipping, dude. Like, you were tight. You were ahead of the game. You made sure that everybody was safe and someone got hurt on your watch because you're starting to transition into being a civilian. Like, get back to being tight again. And that was, uh, it was just really hard um, to kind of do that. It sounds like in a way you had more control and certainty in one aspect. And then you came back and like you said, there was a lot of unknowns and things that were out of your control. Absolutely. And for somebody who was always, you know, in control or had some say so in the control, or for that matter, you were bottom of the totem pole and you got to do it because somebody higher ranking than you told you, but you understood that the thought processes of everybody, you were in good hands no matter what. And it was really the hard part, even though it's very doable, is really letting go of that control and saying, like, hey, my spouse loves me and wouldn't do anything to hurt me. I love them and I wouldn't do anything to hurt them. My kids, you know, or my neighbor is not out to get me mm-hmm. or whatever. So you can let up a little bit. At like even the restaurant thing, going back to that, I'm out to eat. Everyone's here to out to eat. Like no one's out to get you. Now something happens in our world, like uh, an attack or something. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, see, I told you. And so then it's like this vicious cycle. So it's control the controllables is what I've learned. Um, even with regular, yeah, even in life, just control what you know you control. If there's things that are bothering you, you write them out and then figure out which ones you can control and then worry about those and control those. If you can't control them, then let them go. And those they know the it ones, sounds, yeah. yeah, it sounds easier said than done, but like the serenity um, prayer. <laughs> Yes. Right. Yep. Exactly. And be able to the wisdom to know the difference yep. between those two things. Yeah. So when you came back and you were met with that lack of control, the uncertainty, did that lead you anywhere else? Were there things, did you feel like you had to deal with a lot when you came back or like emotionally, yeah. mentally? Yeah. So a lot of things happened when I was overseas and there's like a side, I always told my wife, like there's a side of me, they don't want you to know, like I'm not here to keep secrets, but there's an ugly side of 
war mm. and you know you fell in love with me prior to that and i want you to stay in love with that person and not my hurts my hang-ups my downfalls my stumbles like it even though it had nothing to do with you like that's those are the skeletons in the closet that's where they're going to stay and i'm not going to address them with you because they had nothing to do with you mm-hmm. however the hurts and pains that i was going through or the moods that i was in it affects her so it, in hindsight like it does like she should know and so just holding on to these things for so long, you know, started, go- started going to like denial or depression. I have these anniversaries that would come up. So and we're in the midst of those times right now. But June, July and August are all anniversary times for me. Somebody passing, stuff falling through the cracks that I shouldn't have let fall through the cracks. Um, yeah. And a lot of death and things like that. So it was just I never talked about it. So as I was going through the years of coming back, I'd get into these moods of shutting everybody out, quiet, not talking to anybody. Pretty much, if I can be blunt, like F everybody else, it's only me. And Mm -hmm. I got to take care of me and just shutting everything out and away from me. It happened for about four or five years or longer before I was like, dude, you need to do something about this. And yeah, it took me about year six to year eight to finally start to search for help. And then year eight, nine and 10 was narrowing down. And the answer was simple the whole time. Like, go to the VA, go to the VA. <laughs> yeah, get get like, that's a, yeah but it was, right. But it was like, because I was hurt, like within the military, I don't want them to be the answer mm. or bring me the answer. I want to do it on my own. I don't need this. But the crazy thing is when you dial everything back is you've always been about team and now you're trying to do things by yourself. Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's like um, when you came back, you all of a sudden started your life as this just solo person. And right. I think a lot of people do that in a way when you talked about kind of putting all of our the bad things about us in a closet and hiding them because we don't want to show those to other people. Mm-hmm sometimes not realizing they're still bleeding out into our life in other ways. Right. Absolutely. And I know it's kind of, you know, the cliche saying of that we, you know, talk about skeletons in the closet, but skeletons remain there. I mean, hello, we're digging up fossils from, you know, millions of years ago. Like there's still substance in bones, like in your skeleton, there's still substance there. You have to deal with it. And it's coming from somebody who didn't want to. It's like, oh no, we're good. We're good. We're good. And right prior to me going to the VA for help, my sister said, have you ever thought about that you suffer from anxiety and depression? And I basically told her, shut the hell up. I will not allow you to speak those words into existence. That is not me. And so for a while, there was like some denial there. Yeah. And then the back of my head was like, dude, maybe she's right. I'm like, no, I'm not going to speak that into existence. I like rebuked that like, no. And I was like, at least go to the VA and make an appointment. Let's just do one step at a time. So I really had to like write things out. What is it? And I tell this to people I coach. What does success look like for you? That's probably one of the greatest questions that you can ever ask yourself. What does success look like to you? And I was like, I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to let go of these hurts. I don't want them. I don't want skeletons in the closet anymore. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to go to dinner and not worry about things. I want to be able to play with my kids and my wife and things like that. Okay, so what is that? That success. How do you get there? I need to do X, Y, and Z. Okay, so let's bring this down. How do you get to Z? How do you get to Y? How do you get to X? And so you're almost like you're thinking about the end in mind. But then you start to track backwards and then you get to, okay, what do I need to do this year? Okay, well, if I want to accomplish that at the end of the year, what do I need to do each month? Okay, what do I need to do this month? What do I need to do today to equal that by the end of the month? And so you kind of backtrack. And so one of the things was make the appointment. Mm-hmm. I and that was kind with- of the first the yeah. first step. But I, that was, I like that, that you, yeah, I want to go back because I like what you said about, I call it mapping out your future. Like, what do you mm-hmm. want? Because 
I think that's a piece that's missing for a lot of people. We'll even say things like, well, we want to be happy. And I'm like, but what does that mean to you? Like, what does that look like? And get crystal clear on what you want the future to look like. So you have the coordinates to get there. I'm like, if you jump in your car and say, I don't care where I'm going, like you're not going to go anywhere. But if you're you're just wasting gas. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Was there any, because you said your sister came to you and she was like, could you have PTSD, anxiety, depression? And at first you pushed that away. What was the point where you were willing to accept that you needed help? Like, did something change inside of you? Was it something externally? Yeah, it was. So a couple of different things. Uh, one, it was, I want to find out. So it was having control or as much control as I can. It was like, it's almost like you're uh, growing up, right? Your your friend's parents can tell you something. And then your own parents are like, I just told you that last week. Like, how come you didn't listen to me? Mm-hmm. But you listen to so-and-so's yeah. parents. But it was like, my sister would say, maybe you need to go get help, go to the VA. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, relax. It's not PTSD. It's not any of this. And then I was like, maybe I should go to the VA and like made it my... <laughs> My decision on my on my terms, right? It was my idea. Um, and and I made the appointment, and then I was like, okay, I wanted to keep momentum because I think a lot of people think that motivation comes like they need motivation to move, and that's not the case. Motivation comes through action, so you need to act first, have a victory, and then motivation comes into place. And I think people just sit on their butts thinking, well, let me wait till something happens and get and get motivated. And it's like, no. You have to move first. And so I, when I made the appointment, they're like, all right, you're going to come on this date and this time. I was like, cool, what else can I do? Like, that was easy. I didn't mm-hmm. think it was going to be this. I didn't think it was going to be this easy. And it literally took two minutes. Okay, so what else can I do? And I was like, okay, so what are you not happy with? Like, I don't like my teeth. So let me go get braces. And so I went to go get braces and a quick side story. My mom was like, you better wear your retainer or else you're going to come back and you're going to yep. have to wear them all over again. And you're going to have to pay for it. And so I went from like 12 to 16 wearing braces. And guess what? I had to get braces from 28 Full to 30. Circle. Yeah. And I had to pay for them. Like, damn it, mom, you were right. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, what else don't I like about like myself? Because I wasn't smiling and smiling leads to mm-hmm. happiness, like the gateway yeah. to happiness. So you can be approachable. And I wasn't smiling because I didn't like my teeth. And then, you know, my hair was receding uh, from stress from deployment. And I was like, well, let me just take it off because I needed to be in control. But I was using that control to get the momentum that I was talking about and that motivation. So I was like, what else can I do? And so I was just getting on this role of writing everything out. But I kind of wrote out this whole thing of what are your values? And so I was listening to a motivational speaker named Eric Thomas. And he was like, you got to change something, you know, wake up early. So I was already waking up at six o'clock in the morning decided to, all right, I'm going to wake up at five o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and get more hours in my own day. And so I started to write out my values or my priorities. And so in my life, it was what I thought was should have been God first, my wife, and then my boys, and then work, and then my mom and dad and my sisters and stuff like that. But in actuality, when I was when I looked at my schedule, I looked at my schedule. And when the first thing I did in the morning when I woke up was I would go to the gym. And I'd come home, eat, take my boys to school. And then I'd come home and because I didn't work until noon, I just sit on my butt and watch TV. Mm. And so then I started to write out my goals. And when I was writing out my goals, it was like better relationship with God, better relationship with my wife, better relationship with my kids and a bigger home or a newer home and a, um, a nicer car. I'm like, dang it, we deserve a nice car. We've worked our butts off for so long. So those were the goals. And I, funny story, I was at work and I put these things all on different, um, just like a pad of paper. And I put them on my desk, one piece of paper with my goals, one with my, um, one with my schedule, one with my a list of my priorities. And when I left my room or my office at work, those papers fell on the floor. 
Mm-hmm. And then I had a post-it note on my computer from the janitor that said, hey, came came by to clean up last night. And there was three pieces of paper that were by your trash can, but they were on the floor. Don't know if they are trash or not. So I taped them to your window. And so I looked at my window. And as the sun was coming up, you know, first thing in the morning, because I went to, into work early, I can see all the papers were stacked on top of each other. And I felt God telling me, like, do you see it? What are you trying to show me? And on the left side of the front paper were my my goals. And then in the second paper in the middle where I wrote it were my priorities. And then the last paper on the right was my daily schedule. And what I noticed was the things didn't line up. Like they, as the sun was shining through, I was able to see all three pieces of paper of what was almost mm-hmm. like transparent paper almost. And I was able to see all three things and they were lined, they were lined up. And I was like, your goal this is to have that. a bit. Yeah. Your goal is to have a better relationship with God. Your priority is to, is God first. But yet the first thing that you do when you get up in the morning is you go to the gym. Your next thing on your list is a better relationship with your wife. Your priority is, you know, is your wife, but yet you don't even talk to her or see her until the end of the day. So do you understand what's going on? And so when I had first wrote this out, I had wrote out my schedule, my, my, my priorities, my schedule, and then my goals. And there's a saying that says, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. I've kind of looked at this and I felt like, show me your schedule and I'll show you what your goals and your priorities are. And I think that's huge because I think so many people, if they were to do what you did and make a list right now of their goals, And then their schedule and compare the two and throwing their values in there too. Most of us would be out of alignment, at least in some way. Yeah, that was so eye-opening to me, which is this is what I do in some of the, the training that I do, not only for individuals like individual coaching, but group coaching with businesses and organizations, because it's the same thing with their mission, their vision, and their positions and their staff. We do this whole thing. But the main kind of point that I want you to take from this and your listeners take from this is because I did it in the wrong order, I didn't know where I was going. But when I did goals, priority. And then that dictated what my schedule should be. If people caught it, it was before. Again, I'll say this again. It was priorities, schedules, then goals. I changed it to goals, priorities, and it told me my schedule. My GPS gave me the direction on what I needed to do next. And so that was huge for me. And as I started to write these things out, I was like, okay, now I know what to do. So I woke up a little bit early and I would read a devotional and listen to worship music and I'd get into prayer. And I had another gentleman who was a mentor and we kind of did a, a Zoom call together in the mornings. And then I would make breakfast for my wife and coffee. And then I'd go to the gym and I'd come home before my kids woke up. And then I made them breakfast. And then we ate together as a family in the morning. So everything started to get into order. And then those things started to grow. And, you know, the second point that I want to bring back full circle is the things that you appreciate, appreciate those things will grow. You appreciate those things that appreciate they grow in value Mm -hmm. because you're adding value to those things. Absolutely. So what transitioned you from, because at this point, where were you working at this point when you had the papers on the window? Yeah, I was working at a nonprofit and I shouldn't say I just left, but prior to that, I was a police officer and I wasn't happy there and I left. And that was kind of my first kind of breakdown, hit the bottom, rock bottom and kind of bounce back up, left the police department, didn't know where I was going and didn't have work for like three, four months before... I got this job with this nonprofit and then I moved my way up the nonprofit as a staff, as a a lead and then a manager and then a director. And it was in that manager uh, position where this took place. 
and that catapulted me to the director position. And then the new home came, the new car came, mm-hmm. the better relationships at work, like all that stuff came. And then on top of that, and you said it in the beginning in my bio, where I'm a Gallup certified strengths coach, where I I got went through the certification to teach strength finders, where that helped my relationship, not only with my wife and my kids, but my employees, my CEO, and that that's what totally catapulted me to the next level of uh, personal and professional development. What do you think it was about strengths finders that helped your relationship? I've seen it used a lot in the business world, and I know a lot of people who take it in their corporate career, but how did it impact your relationship in your home life? Yeah, you understand your blind spots. And that's huge. I know a lot of people say, you know, what are your weaknesses? What are your weaknesses? Well, we want to focus on our strengths because if we focus on our strengths, your blind spots, you start to become more aware of your blind spots. And then you can utilize your strengths to kind of make your weaknesses or in this case, your blind spots, uh, like not even relevant anymore, irrelevant. But in my relationship with my wife, I understood her strengths and she understood mine. So in one of her strengths, she has Relator. So we both share this strength, Relator, but she has one called Developer. And then she also has Empathy. And Empathy is like number 11 to me. I think Empathy is like two or three for her. Developer, I think is number two for her. And she's relationship driven. I'm strategic thinking driven. And so I think first before I do stuff and she is more about the relationship first. So I'll give you a quick example. At one point, she had a a coworker who was dealing with some personal stuff. And so she was always talking to her at work and then on the way home. And when she'd come home, she'd be emotionally drained. And I started to get frustrated because I was like, you give your coworker all of this attention and you're emotionally drained by the time you get home. And I'm only getting 10% of you. Like, that's not fair to me. That's not fair to our relationship. And so I was getting upset. Once I understood her strengths, I realized she is in her wheelhouse of being who she's been designed to be. Why are you getting upset at her being great? I mean, no one's going to get mad at the chef for cooking the meals, right? You come home Mm -hmm. and your meals made like, holy moly, like the chef is great at cooking. So you let them cook. If she is good at relationship building and developing people and bringing them up from traumas and stuff like that, then let her do that. She is there for her. The only thing with my, with my wife is she's like, when we started doing the training stuff together was how do we refocus? Okay. Work's over. Your conversation with her is over. How do we then pivot to who do I need to be for my husband? Who do I need to be for my wife? And for me, it was like, stop being manager, director person Mm -hmm. and trying to solve the world's problems in your home. How about you listen? Like, what do you need to do? How do you pivot for your wife so you can be the husband that you need to be for your wife and for your kids? And so I had to kind of figuratively and almost physically like go and pretend, okay, I'm taking this hat off of director and manager. And now I'm putting on the hat of husband, supportive husband, listening husband, loving husband, playful father, you know, a mentor father and really saying, okay, this is the person that I need to be. Um, And I just did a post today on my Instagram where it's kind of like a different focus, but to say kind of similar is what is your MVP? What is your most valuable priority or who is your most valuable priority? And at this point it's your wife. And so her and I kind of go through this thing of, okay, this is now ended work. How do I now then refocus? And so it's really helped our relationship to know when she's in her strengths, when she's not in her strengths, how do I help her uh, get back and teaching her the same thing for me, because we do need accountability partners, Mm -hmm. whether that is with your spouse or a mentor and saying, Hey, let's get you back to where you need to be. And it was super helpful because I, I learned that culture is going to exist no matter what at work or at, at your home. So why would you choose to have a bad culture in your home? 
Oh, I love that because it is a choice. We get to decide the energy and what we bring into our house and what we bring to our loved ones, especially and to Absolutely. ourselves. Yep. So if, if success and great culture and togetherness is an option, then why choose failure and anger and everything else? And it's definitely a choice. What led you to coaching then? If you're working at the nonprofit, you're in a leadership role there. When did your life pivot to where you decided to teach people yeah. the GPS and go into yeah. strengths finders? Yeah, I got a really bad evaluation. I have 170 staff. One came back that was negative and I lost my mind. I was like, what happened? And it was just a, a tweak in communication and relationship between myself and another coworker. And so I was like, I want to get better. So I researched stuff. And I had done at this point, the enneagram, I had done a disc assessment and uh, I found strengths. So I did strengths and they're all really good. So anything that's going to help you is good. So I'm not going to down the other two. I just found that strengths to me was more uh, easier to swallow and a, a better fit for me. And I found that you could be a trainer. So I talked to my boss. I was like, Hey, can I become a trainer in this and totally fell in love with it. And I started to see the impact that it had with uh, his relationship with me and vice versa mm. at work and then with other employees. And so then I started to train other employees and I saw them thriving at work and in their personal life and myself. And it was like, I need to spread this more. Uh, I did a training for my, my staff and we had a, like a sister company come in and was part of my training. And their director was like, Hey, I'm part of a training. Can you help us with, this training and speak. So like, sure. And that led to a keynote. And then that led to another training for a completely different organization. And a gentleman in the back came up and said, dude, you could totally do this for a living. And I said, you think so? And he's like, yeah, you know, the guy that spoke right before you, we paid him X amount of money to do exactly what you did. And you did it for free. I was like, oh, I need to start charging for this. <laughs> Like, I don't want to do it for free. Yeah. So little by little, I started to help that organization out and they paid me something small. I had done it free for about a year. And then it was like 250 every time I went to go speak. And then it was 350 and then it was 500 and then it was 1500. And then as soon as the pay, and it's not about the pay. So I don't want people to misunderstand that. But when I can only do so much working a nine to five mm -hmm. and then doing this stuff extra and then being a, a pivotal person in my family as well. Mm -hmm. So when the work started to surpass my nine to five and the pay started to surpass the nine to five. Then I was like, okay, this is a time for me to split off my value that I can add to people has outweighed my value at work. Like I think it's Jim Rohn that says you don't get paid by the hour. You get paid by the value you bring to that hour. And my value was so much at work that they couldn't pay me anymore mm -hmm. in their budget. And I knew that what I knew was more than just for those 170 people. And so then I started doing it for others. And so now I'm specifically, my big, big thing has been school districts and the administration of the school districts, so like the business office and the, all the administrators and the supervisors and managers. I've done some schools where we do the admin there at the school. Um, we've done stuff with students, but my main focus is the adult, just because the adult and the administration, you find that, you know, the business department doesn't want to talk to HR and HR is doing stuff that this other department doesn't like. And so mm -hmm. my thing is like, if we can get them to click, because in the long run, it's for the kids, can we get them to click better? Like those are the people who actually need it. And then you deal with burnout and things like that. And it's like, that's the work function that I want to work with. Absolutely. And so that's, that's been my main thing. I get some individuals every now and then to say, Hey, can you help me with mm -hmm. this or with that? So I'll do that. But yeah, it's about team camaraderie. And that is uh, at an organization, nonprofit or within the family uh, home as well. 
And those are probably skills that you hone being in the military, being able to work in teams and lead teams and then transition it through your own growth journey to now serve the communities. And I would argue one of the most important populations to serve because they're the ones really pouring into our kids. Yeah, absolutely. I've been under really good leadership where I learned tons. And then I've also been part of horrible leadership where I'm Mm -hmm. like, how are you in this position? And I see this a lot in places. Well, they've been here for 15 years. It's like, I don't care that they've been here for 25 years. Being here long-term doesn't give you the automatic qualification to be somebody's manager or supervisor. Just because you're even good at your job doesn't make you qualified to be a manager or a supervisor. Mm -hmm. To get those positions, you have to know how to work well with people. Just because you can push paper really well doesn't mean that you can push people around. That's and there's a, a great point. So there's a difference. There's this connection. I have a friend that says connection before correction. Managers want to correct all these people. But it's like, you're not even connecting with these people. It goes the same thing with parenting. Or I even, was going to say that. Or yeah. in relationships, like always connection before correction. Because correction yeah. alone does not normally lead to change behavior. Absolutely. And so this is the one of the biggest reasons why I know that... And in your business and my business and the and the people who help us with our personal brands, you know, tell us to niche down, niche down. But this is one thing that I don't move on or budge on in personal and professional development because they do coexist together. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you've brought in, you know, even listeners have brought in work home and it stresses their home life out. Yes. And they've had home life that they take to work that mm-hmm. affects their work. And so I really like to to play that line in everything that I teach is going to be both effective for your personal and professional it's life. It's holistic. So, yeah, absolutely. So if you could give someone who was in your position before you started the growth journey, maybe they've come back from overseas and they're dealing with PTSD or anxiety and depression in their own right. Someone in that position right now listening to this today, if you could give them one takeaway, if you were like, start here, go do this right now, what would that be? It'll be one and 1.2 would be, to write everything down, write everything down that so you can see it. I have a, a saying that says, when you write it out, you will figure it out. And I think a lot of times we keep things in our head, but if we are able to see it, so write it out and write down, you know, what success is, what you want. But I think maybe one of the first or maybe one of the last things now that I'm thinking about it that you write out is who can help you in this situation? Like who's accomplished the goal that you've gone to? Like if it was me 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, this person went through what I went through and they have reached the goal that I want to reach. Let me contact them. There's a story that I heard that this gentleman got his friend a job as a mail clerk in this big high rise building. And he's like, hey, how'd your first day go? And he says, I just talked to the CEO and we're going to have lunch. And he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, I had lunch with the CEO and asked him, you know, what can I do to move up? And he's like, that's the worst thing you could have done. You know how far removed the CEO is from the mail clerk? Like he's been the CEO for years. And the last time he had like a grunt job like this, was like 30, 40 years ago. The person you needed to talk to was Hank. Hank just got promoted from the mail clerk to head admin of the office. Mm. That's the person that you need to talk to because he's the one who had your job and then got out of your job. And so I think that's what we need to do is is we need to look at those people who are just one step above us because we look at CEOs and millionaires and like, oh, that's what I want to do. Until it's time to do the stuff that they're doing. Then you're like, ooh, this is too much. It's overwhelming. Do it. Right. So talk to the person who just came out of that. And they're going to tell you the truth of it is hard, but this was my first step. Mm. And even when you write everything out and you can put it in an order, I would say that you cover everything up and just look at that one thing. Speak to Mark. 
who just got out of deployment and is going to counseling for PTSD. Talk to Susan, who just is in her third week of therapy or whatever. Talk to Jill and and John, who just um, finished their marriage couples therapy or whatever. Like, Get those people who are right outside the cusp of where you want to be and then communicate with them and ask questions and do that. And then you move to step two and step three and step four. But don't worry about everything else. Write everything out and then cover everything up until you have that one first step and then take it. I love that. That's beautiful because it's it's doable. Like you can take the one step, you can do a little bit. And sometimes when we, you know, we look again to the experts or someone way ahead of us, it's overwhelming. And then we lose that little bit of motivation we might have mustered up to even right. attempt to get started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even thinking your own life, wherever you're at, think about all the crap that you've gone through, either at your job or with marriage or with kids or whatever. And you said, Hey, you want kids or you want this job? Guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to go to school for eight years, not four. You're going to have to write 17 papers that are 200 pages or more. You're going to have to move six times. You're going to be like, hell no, I don't want that life. But yet you're here. Why? Because you did it one little chunk at a time. And that's what your future is going to look like. It's going to be great. You just got to do it one little chunk at a time. I love that. I like to ask everyone this question last, but what is growth to you? Mm. Wow. That's a deep question. I think growth, first off, is understanding what growth is. And what I mean by that is I wrote this small little ebook where it says, if you just take a seed and you think about the seed, and this kind of will sum up everything that we talked about today, the seed that gets planted for fruit here, I live in the Central Valley and we're the fruit basket of the world. A farmer or a landscaper or whatever had to plant that seed and you are that seed. But it's that person, that mentor that I was talking about before that pours into that seed, who takes care of the soil and and the nutrients that is given to that seed so it can grow. But what happens to that seed in growth is you become buried. And some people say that they feel overwhelmed and they can't move and they can't, but that's what the seed is. But the seed isn't necessarily buried, it's planted and it's dark, but it's surrounded with the nutrients and the soil that it needs in order to grow. So yeah, there's going to be times where growth feels dark. There is going to be pressure, but pressure makes everything better. You think about lifting weights, like the time under tension grows your muscle. A pressure cooker cooks the most amazing mm-hmm. food. Pressure creates diamonds. Like pressure is a good thing, but you have to understand and look at it as nutrients for that seed to grow. And then the seed breaks and there's going to become a breaking point where you said like, I've had enough. Now it's time to change. And then you start to see the root and the root goes straight down. And if you ever look at a root that grows, you can like look up like soybean growing underground or whatever. And you'll start to see that the roots grow first before it even grows up. So you're going to have to grow deep and grow wide in that darkness before you can grow up. And then it starts to grow and then it peaks it out and then it starts to grow. And here's the other thing when it comes to growth is if you look at that seed grow, it will grow a leaf on one side. And what it does is it grows a leaf on the other side because it needs that balance or else it's going to fall over, stay in the dirt, and it's going to get eaten. But then once that leaf starts to grow with the leaf on the left and the right, then it grows a leaf in the forward and in the back for balance again. And then it continues to grow up and it does the same thing, left, right, forward, back. And I think if we grow too much in one area, that can hurt us. That we have to understand that I have to grow like in life, I have to grow as a husband, and then I have to grow as a man. And I need to grow as a father. And then I need to grow as a leader. There's different ways for us to Mm -hmm. grow. So understand the hats that you wear and just spend a little time in growth in one spot and then on the other side. 
but growth is going to feel dark and it's going to feel like there's pressure, but there's so much more in your rooted foundation that is needed in order for you to grow up. That is beautiful, Juan. Thank you so much for sharing that. Where can people find you? Because I know people listening to this are going to want more. Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is um, raise the bar CEO and raises with a Z. I had to do that for copyright stuff. So uh, R-A-I-Z-E, the bar CEO. And then my website is we raise the bar spelled the same raise. We raise the bar.com. And um, there is a link on both on the website and on uh, the Instagram page where it goes to my leadership course that I have. But if you just want to reach out, just DM me, email me. Yeah. And then we will connect. And then on the website as well, there's a podcast link and you can go there and listen to the podcast that I have called the Relevant Development Podcast, where I speak about everything developmental for both personal and professional. Awesome. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service and how you continue to serve and pour into people. And guys, all of that stuff will be in the show notes. So if you're like, wait, what was the spelling on that? There will be links below. Thank you, Juan. Thank you so much, Lily. It's a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Growth Over Easy. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me at lilyrachels.com. I'm Lily Rachels across all social platforms. Please just share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Until next time, remember, easy is empty, growth is gold.